this is Ruin Willow with the Oh, fuck yeah, with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm super excited you're here today. I have an amazing person that I chat with today. So this is one of those episodes where we get to find out more things about sex, about relationships, how to have better sex. And it's really a fantastic conversation. I had her on the podcast before. This is her second time on. If you're under 18, though, it is time to leave the podcast now because we are talking about sex and sexuality. And today we are talking with Dr. Allison Ash, a.k.a. Dr. Allie, is a trauma-informed intimacy coach and educator, Stanford University lecturer, author, and founder of TurnOn.Love, T-U-R-N capital O-N dot L-O-V-E. As a sociologist with a PhD from Stanford, she has a comprehensive understanding of the complex societal challenges that often lead to unsatisfying and disempowering intimate experiences. She also draws on her extensive training in the Hakomi Mindful Somatic Psychotherapy, Intimate Somatic Intelligence Trauma Therapy Approach, and Somatica Method of Sex and Intimacy Coaching to support our clients to radically explore and courageously express themselves. Dr. Ellie designs workshops, courses, and retreats and offers individuals and couples coaching to give others the tools to be able to cultivate and sustain nourishing emotional and sexual intimacy. Dr. Ellie invites you to turn on pleasure, intimacy, and love at www.turnon.love. Now, that link will be down in the podcast show notes as well. So stay tuned for this amazing chat. She has so many great things to say. She really does. She's so knowledgeable and helpful. And she's got all these amazing courses. And they're just things that you're going to (laughs) want. Don't forget, my link down in the podcast show notes will have all of my books that are available for purchase. And also, you can go to Story Origin app and request an ARC of my audiobooks. My latest audiobook is... Sharing His Adventurous Wife, First Time Wife Share. It's a hot wife story, Itty Bitty Vixen, that I narrated with in my hands audio, which he has an amazing, sexy voice. And that was written by Lacey Cross. So that's my latest one. And I also have two of my The Sex Challenge series audiobooks. One is about to release. The Limo Sex Challenge is about to release. It's really close. The other one is The Hide and Seek Sex Challenge. And I also have the final installment available in pre-order on Amazon for Taste of Victory. That is the final story, the final novella in the series of six novellas of the Day of Play, the Sex Challenge series. So check that out. I'll put the links on the podcast show notes. And don't forget with my code RUINWILLOW20, my promo code RUINWILLOW20. You can get 20% off and free shipping for Manscaped.com products. Manscaping products are great for Christmas. Great for Christmas gifts. So they can, so men can get all sexy and ready for intimacy with shaving products. Stuff for their beards, for their groin hair. Yeah. Shave those pubes. They are the masters of this stuff and they have amazing tools to help you get sexy and ready for intimacy. And just presentable, right? Like beard care and stuff like that. Also, Ruin Willow 10 for sex toys. There are amazing sex toys through Kiro.com right now. 
If you use the code RUINWILLOW10, you get 10% off. They have amazing deals for Black Friday right now. Amazing. Totally amazing. And I will put a link to that down in the podcast show notes so that you can see what they have available. Take advantage of their sales. They have amazing sex toys for men and for women. I have my pearls for women, and I love my pearls. I have the pink and the blue one. I think I have pearl two and three. Totally amazing sex toys. Very, very, I mean, they're just a great shape and a very easy to maneuver. <laughs> great for playtime. Okay, let's get into this discussion with Dr. Allie. Let's go. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to talk to this person. This is the second time I'm having her on the podcast. And so you'll have to go back and check her other one out. I'll put the link to that down in the podcast show notes. This is Dr. Allison Ash. She's a sex and intimacy coach and educator and lecturer at Stanford University and the founder of Turn On Love. Welcome, Dr. Allie. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to chat with you again and find out more information about how we can have better embodiment. And, you know, I nervous system regulation plays into that and they're important for health and intimacy, but I don't really think people understand what that means. What does that really mean? Sure. Yeah. Embodiment is this ability to be aware of your sensations and emotions inside your body and to feel the impact of your connections between your body and the outside world. So noticing what you're feeling, I always say feelings are the relationship between sensations and emotions. Emotions show up in our body as sensations and being able to discern what we're feeling and track those sensations and emotions as they evolve as well as being able to notice how your body's responding to outside stimuli, like the breeze or somebody's touch or gaze or the feeling of being naked. And embodiment is a skill. And like all skills, we need to have the ability to practice them in order to get better at it. And the reality is, is that we live in a thinking culture that values and prioritizes the rational, logical mind, and it devalues the wisdom of the body. And I think for a lot of people, we're actually shamed for being too sensitive or too emotional. And we start to disconnect from the body, and we lose the capacity to be able to discern the wisdom of the body, to know what these various cues are and what they're suggesting and meaning. And embodiment is crucial for healthy intimacy, because it helps us understand yeses and our nos, our wants, needs, and boundaries. And so emb- practicing embodied consent, not just having an intellectual sense of our yeses and nos, but actually knowing viscerally what we're available for and not available for. It helps us to get out of our head and be in our body and experience more desire and pleasure. It allows us to attune and co-regulate. So we'll talk a little bit about what co-regulation means, but that helps us be better lovers and better partners when we can basically attune in as a a calibration process of adjusting how we're being in relationship with somebody else so that we're feeling connected and met. And that's a very embodied process. And so embodiment is so key for being able to have a healthy relationship with yourself and also a healthy relationship with other people. And thinking of embodiment is kind of like like living in the moment and feeling and being aware of everything rather than like thinking about things, right? It's like more like the, the feelings that you're having in a specific moment. 
That's right. It's actually a form of meditation or, or mindfulness. It's it's being very present, as you said, but paying exquisite attention to what's happening inside the body rather than getting lost in our thoughts. I love the phrase that you I had seen you have somewhere was uh, the embodiment matters. And when we're talking about having nourishing, not having, but nourishing our intimacy. I like that word, nourishing our intimacy. That's like something that you just don't hear that phrase very often, but it sounds very lovely. I think that it's wonderful to point to the fact that intimacy can be deeply nourishing, sustaining, fulfilling, enlivening. And it can also feel when there's longing or lack or conflict, it can feel draining and depleting and stressful. Mm -hmm. And so we want to think about how can we attend to our relationships so that it can be more of the former and less of the latter. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you know, if it's not nourishing and not positive, yeah, it totally can be draining. And you might feel like you're more in service to the other person, which is draining too. Not that you can't do service to them, but it has to be some sort of balance, you know? So when we're talking about embodiment, how does that really relate to our nervous system? I know, you know, obviously our nervous system is what helps us feel what's going on, but how does it, how does being embodied really help us relate to our, our own nervous system? Well, I think it might be helpful just to talk about the nervous system for a moment. So our nervous system has two main automatic features, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the sympathetic nervous system is responsible for action, going, doing, it's also where when we have what's called hyperactivation of our nervous of our sympathetic nervous system, we can go into a fight mm. flight trauma response. Triggers, right? Triggers. Right. Well, stressors on the nervous system. When we have mm -hmm. too much stress on the nervous system, what can happen is what's called our window of tolerance, which is this homeostasis that develops between our sympathetic nervous system, the part the part that's responsible for agency for doing, and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for rest digestion, relaxation, re coming coming to stillness. All day, we're experiencing input on our nervous systems. We can call those stressors, even though it might not actually feel stressful, but we're mm -hmm. experiencing input on the nervous system that's requiring us to oscillate between sympathetic and parasympathetic responses. Dan Siegel coined this term called the window of tolerance. Other folks refer to it as the range of resiliency, which I love because there's this idea that it's this, it's this area of spaciousness where when we're within our window of tolerance, there's this homeostasis that's happening where there's a balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic responses. And we have full functioning online when we're in our window of tolerance. We can engage socially. We can be feel connected mm. to other people. We can be sure. playful. We can both feel and think simultaneously. We can experience empathy and feel safe and have access to curiosity and be adaptive to situations. And when we experience too much activation in the nervous system, too much stressors or trauma, but it's not always necessarily trauma, it can just be a lot of triggers, as you said, we can get overly dysregulated and that homeostasis is not in play. And we go outside of our window of tolerance and we either go into hyperactivation, which is where that fight flight response lives, or we can go into hypoactivation, which is where freezing, collapsing, disassociating can happen. And 
if you are in an actual life or death situation, this is a very advantageous response. We've developed this response for a reason. But the Mm -hmm. reality is, is that a lot of people get really dysregulated and are outside of their window of tolerance in situations that may feel life or death, but actually aren't life or death. And that is problematic because then we respond reactively. We don't have access to all of the skills that we need to have healthy intimacy. We get short or stony and silent, or we shut down, or our mind goes blank, and we don't know what to say anymore, or we push somebody away, we say an angry insult, and we are harming our capacity to maintain healthy connections. And I'll just say one more thing, which is that everybody gets dysregulated. I don't mean to suggest or shame that dysregulation is a bad thing. We all, we all go there. It's a very human, natural, biological response. But there are things that we can do to attend to our nervous system so that we can have a wider, more resilient window of tolerance, meaning it takes a lot more input for us to lose our seat and show up reactively. And we can also learn how to care for our nervous system, both when we're regulated so that we can feel more nourished, but also when we're starting to get dysregulated so that we can have some interventions come in rather than just continuing along that pathway to deep dysregulation, reactivity, or even a trauma response. So really what we ultimately want is to have a larger window rather than a smaller window because it just makes us harder to relate to others if it's a smaller window. That's right. And I also just want to normalize that there's a lot of factors that can impact how wide your window of tolerance is. It's fluid. It's not a static thing throughout your life, of course. So if you've had a wonderful vacation and a yummy meal and eight hours of sleep in a comfortable bed, you're going to have a wider window of tolerance than if you are overworked, Mm -hmm. underfed, underslept. but also. In part, when we think about intergenerational trauma, this is one of the ways that trauma gets passed down generation from generation, because if you're having a lot of trauma can narrow your window of tolerance. And if your parents have more narrow windows of tolerances and they tend to respond really reactively and they don't know how to regulate their own nervous systems, then when they are caretaking an infant and a little one, then they're not actually modeling and templating how to have a healthy window of tolerance, how to regulate your own nervous system. And that can make it harder for folks as as adults to be able to regulate and to have that level of resiliency that so many of us crave. Right. And do you think some people just kind of think that they have to put themselves in go, go, go mode and like, I'm not going to deal with this right now. And that way they're not dealing with what they're feeling, maybe making it harder to get to that widening of your your window. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we are a go, go, go culture, right? We are Mm -hmm. goal oriented. We are uh, affirmed for being productive. We are not encouraged to engage in radical self-care, to find moments and ways to have spaciousness, to be able to deeply breathe, to attune to your own body and needs. We are oftentimes shamed for having boundaries and saying no Mm -hmm. to things that we don't have the capacity for. And so we push ourselves to the threshold of our capacity or often past our capacity. And that's a dysregulating way to relate to yourself and to others. But that's the momentum that our culture creates. It's very hard to run up against that and do something different. Yeah, like we're we're not really taught to like, oh, live in the moment, enjoy that strawberry. You know, it's more like, what did you get done? What are you working on? What are you doing next? And so that carries into the bedroom. 
That's right. Of course. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the most self-defeating ways of relating to intimacy is to approach it with a goal and to have an agenda in mind that creates a ton of pressure for you and a ton of pressure for your lover or partner. But it's very hard to turn that off because that's just how we relate to almost everything in life. Right. So what does it mean for us to care for our nervous system? And why is it important for maintaining healthy relationships? I know we've touched on this a little bit, but what can we really do to care for our nervous system? Is it just simply self-care things or are there other ways? Great question. So we can both engage in self-regulation and co-regulation. So self-regulation is this experience of self-soothing. We can do that in small little ways by taking deep, slow breaths, having our hand on our heart or somewhere on our body, giving ourselves some soothing touch, shaking. Our body is so helpful for moving tension and stress through the body. But we can also do that by engaging in self-care activities. So this is this term that everybody throws around, but so few (laughs) actually know what it means. And have a, a menu of self-care options that I love to share with folks. If you're listening to this mm-hmm. podcast, please feel free to go to my website, reach out. I'd be happy to share it with you because the reality is, is that it's often hard, especially if you're in a state of dysregulation to know what's going to be soothing. Nothing sounds like it's going to work or feel good, but right. if you look at a menu of options, it's much easier to pick something. So some examples I have are taking a bath or mm-hmm. gardening and getting your hands in the dirt listening to some music or writing or journaling journaling or making art or eating something nourishing or I love to wrap myself in a super soft plush blanket and just really feel the soothing of being cocooned in something soft and not everything is going to work for every person but you want to figure out what are the things that work for you and to do them both with some regularity so that you're tending to your nervous system and giving yourself that soothing even when you're not in a state of dysregulation but then also ideally and this is where embodiment comes in noticing when you're starting to get dysregulated when you're starting to reach the edges of your capacity and stop what you're doing and engage in co-regulate in self-soothing techniques then so that you can be helping that homeostasis that balance come into play and not go outside your window of tolerance. When you're already outside of your window of tolerance, and you're very dysregulated. You don't really have as much capacity of making these healthy choices and decisions. You're actually in your more, we call your reptilian animal brain, your prefrontal cortex has gotten bypassed. And so you don't have access to the same kind of logic and reasoning and healthy decision making. So that's self-soothing and self-regulation. We can also engage in something called co-regulation, which is this experience of being soothed in connection with somebody else. And this happens through touch, through laughter and playing, through eye contact, through breathing together. All of these things can help essentially use the other person's nervous system as a tuning fork. And so if the Mm. other person is really regulated and in their window of tolerance and feeling embodied and we're in connection with them, we start to harmonize and feel that kind of soothing in our own nervous system as well. And in fact, this is what's happening when caregivers are holding little infants who are crying and they're, shh, it's okay. And they're giving them soothing touch and they're holding them against their own chest. And it's this attunement process that's happening where the infant is learning how to soothe themselves by being in connection with somebody else who is soothing. And of course, 
We do this throughout our lifespan. And co-regulation is just as important as self-regulation. And some people are are better at self-soothing and some people are better at co-regulating. And so we want to learn how do we develop capacity to do both because it's important for healthy intimacy that we can engage in both forms of regulation. I have a couple of things I want to say from all of that, but the, I'm going to do the one that you just talked about most recently. So kind of, you can kind of think of co-regulating is when you click with someone, like when you feel that click, you know, you're talking to that baby or you're on a date and you're like making eye contact, when you feel that connection and that like clicking and somehow you just all of a sudden get into this synergy where it's like a dance. Yes, is that, is that correct? Huh? Okay. And so that's so important. I mean, everybody wants that click. Everybody wants those moments. Who doesn't? Everyone does. It's something we all strive for in all of our relationships, really. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, all those self-care items that you brought up, like the bath and all that stuff. Unfortunately, it's like our culture looks at those as like the frivolous things like, oh, you're going to do that. You know, oh, I, I read a book or I cleaned my carpet, you know, so it's like those things are like the frivolous things. And so we look at them in our culture as unimportant. Like those are, those don't mean anything, but you're saying those are the things we should be doing and paying attention to. That's right. And when we can engage in self-soothing and self-care activities, we increase our resiliency so we can actually be productive and navigate relationships and tough conversations and tense situations with a lot more capacity and is counterintuitive to think that we can actually be more productive when we also infuse in our day these moments of rest, relaxation, soothing, attending to what feels nourishing. And so when we're figuring this out and we're figuring out where our window is and all of that, how is this going to help us with conflict? Because obviously people get into conflict, maybe they're you know, one or both people or in the relationship or conversation are out of that window, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why the conflict is happening. How can we, how does this play in navigating and what can we do to fix it? I mean, are there things we can say to ourselves, maybe be aware and catch ourselves and be like, hey, look at what you're doing, look at what you're saying, or what what are some things that, that would work there? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by... The Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those 
smooth skin, sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Great question. And I I teach a workshop on repairing ruptures and relationships. And one of the things I focus a lot of energy on in that offering is the fact that most people are trying to repair conflict at the wrong time. When one or oftentimes both people are outside of their window of tolerance. And as you remember, that means that we don't have access to empathy, to reasoning, to curiosity, to memory, to all of these things that we need to be able to navigate conflict effectively. And so when we're in an experience of conflict, that doesn't mean that you can't be angry or upset. There's a way that you have access to emotions when you're in your window of tolerance where you feel like you can be with them and still have your capacity to respond in a way that feels productive and helpful and with clarity and with um the ability to see the big picture and to be able to consider your experience as well as the other person's experience. And then there's a way of reacting, responding to your anger where it's consuming you and that's all Mm -hmm. you can see and feel and you have no capacity to hear, let alone consider the other person's experience. And, And so when that happens, it's so important that you pause, that you take a break, that you you create some space and then both of you go do things that are self-soothing, go for a walk around the block. I'm in conflict with my partner. I throw myself in the shower for as long as I need. It's a long shower. <laughs> and I yeah. mutter, myself <laughs> vent and get yeah. it out. And, and until you can have access to curiosity, empathy, you're not ready to repair. And yeah, sometimes yeah. that actually means going out and talking with other friends and other people and not bad mouthing. That's not the intention. The intention is to vent your anger, say things in ways that might be pretty and release it from your body and your system so that you can come back into the window of tolerance and then maybe even get some support from them. So you can think about how to express your experience in a way that is clear and less reactive and also maybe get some outside perspective on the other person's experience maybe, and then come back to that repair process more regulated and more able to engage in repair work. And if doing repair work and one or both of you starts to get outside of your window of tolerance, take a break Yeah, and come back to it when you're feeling more regulated. What I think that really points to is a lot of people think they start having an argument or a disagreement and they have to, they have to like finish it right there. Why can't we learn to come back to it? I mean, it's something that I think that some people struggle with. Like, no, we're not done talking. We can't leave. We can't separate right now because we're not done. We haven't resolved it. So I think it's we need to start thinking of it in a different way. Like you just explained that sometimes we do need some time and space before we can actually resolve the issue or talk about it. It it is one of the harder things for people to do because they want to get through it. They want to fix it. They want to resolve it. They want to feel better. Or Mm -hmm. you're so angry 
they feel like they need to unleash it so that they're not holding on to it anymore. Or sometimes they want to blow it through their system into somebody else's and have mm-hmm. you carry my anger. I don't, it's too much. Right. Um, and, and so we want to learn what are some other ways that we can be with our anger. I think one of the things that's so important to change, to change in our society is that there aren't bad emotions and good emotions or positive right. and negative emotions. There are maybe more pleasurable emotions and more challenging emotions, but every emotion has a purpose. It has information. It helps us understand our wants, needs, and boundaries and desires and longings and gives us clarity about how we want to make decisions and what our what our needs are. And when you're feeling angry, there's information there for you to discern. Maybe there are needs that aren't being met or boundaries that have been crossed or ways that you're feeling really hurt. And so we want to explore our anger and make space for our anger. And when you're way outside of your window of tolerance, you don't even have the capacity to be curious about your own anger, let alone somebody else's experience. Right. You're kind of just trapped right there and you're just feeling it and you can't, you can't seem to move from it. You're just, you're just locked in it. Yep. Responding reactively rather Mm -hmm. than having some sense of agency and choice around how you're responding and engaging with your own experience. One thing I wanted to ask you too is why is it paramount to create emotionally an emotionally secure relationship? And what does that really look like in real life? An emotionally secure relationship is when you have emotional intelligence, you're aware of your emotional experience of how you're feeling and what you're wanting and needing and your, I like to call it your internal landscape. Mm. And you're able to share that with your partner or best friend or whoever it may be. Our attachment figures aren't always our romantic partners. Right. And they see you, they understand you, they accept you for who you are, and they also self-reveal their own internal landscape. Intimacy comes from shared mutual vulnerability. And so when we can know and understand our inner world and express it and share it, That's always where I say empowerment comes from is radical self-awareness and courageous self-expression. And we're in relationship with somebody else who sees it, who able to be with it and accept it and empathize and honor our experience and then reciprocate, then we can be in an emotionally secure relationship. And that also happens when both parties are able to self-soothe and self-regulate when they need to, and also co-regulate and soothe their nervous systems together. And we want to be able to do both because if you can only self-soothe, but you can't co-regulate, you know, in a lot of ways, our society encourages that because we want to be independent Mm -hmm. and self-reliant and we don't want to need anybody else. And we can really gain an identity around that, but we need co-regulation for bonding and for feeling like we can nourish our intimacy and have a home base that we can come back to. And there are some folks who are much better co-regulators, but they have a very difficult time self-soothing. And then that can create codependency or a lack of autonomy and independence. And so in order to find a healthy balance of independence and interdependence, we want to be able to develop our capacity to both self-soothe and co-regulate. I would imagine 
co-regulation must be very difficult for people who have social anxiety. Yes. And also folks who have traumatic experiences. It yeah, can feel sure. really unsafe to co-regulate. It can feel unreliable or in their past experiences when they've tried to co-regulate, they've been hurt or harmed. And right. so can be it can feel even dangerous for some people. And right. I think there are different things that are co-regulating for different people. I would say for most people, touch is the most co-regulating thing, but then mm-hmm. that's not true for folks who have had some kinds of trauma or maybe are neurodivergent or whatever else it may be. And so it's really figuring sure. out what it is for you. And, you know, I always like to use this term, this phrase of like coming up with your user manual. What are, mm. what are the ways in which you want to tell the people you want to be close to you, what you need to be close and works for you and what doesn't work for you. It right. might actually be playing video games and laughing and engaging in, in this kind of activity or parallel activities where maybe you're both reading separately, but near each other that can actually be co-regulating for some people. Yeah. And I, I would imagine too, that that's really, you have to respect the other person's boundaries heavily. I mean, it's, that's, that's totally integral. It really, and our boundaries relate to our nervous system and our window of tolerance, right? Our, our capacity mm-hmm. is how resourced we are to deal with interactions and activities and triggers and activation and stay in our window of tolerance. Our capacity can be considered like our our limits of our, of our window of tolerance. And so your boundaries are the line between capacity and lack of capacity. And in fact, actually, what I like to counsel people to do is to set their boundaries before their perceived limits of their capacity, because humans are exceptionally bad and knowing how resourced we are and what our capacity is, we overestimate it. And then we go past our capacity. And when you're past your capacity, you're going to show up as short, irritated, resentful, angry, frustrated. When you're within your capacity, you're going to show up as patient, present, curious, generous, playful. And so we want to stay within our capacity so that we can have healthy interactions. And so we feel like having boundaries are a bad thing, that they're going to result in somebody being right. angry or upset or rejecting us. But really, having boundaries is a gift because when we can show up in our window of tolerance within our capacity, we can actually engage in ways that are nourishing to our relationships. And so we want to assert our boundaries because that helps us both stay in connection with ourselves in a way that feels good, but also be able to relate to other people in a way that feels good. And so it's it's a gift. It requires some emotional labor and some self-awareness and some vulnerability to know and assert our boundaries. And it's really important that we do that. And nobody else can know our boundaries but us. And our boundaries mm-hmm. are fluid because our capacity is fluid. So we need to be able to do that that work to be able to know what our yeses and nos are, what the limits of our capacities may be. Yeah. And I think we need to also recognize that, yeah, it's not always going to be the same. So you can't assume because someone wanted to do X, Y, Z, that they want to do X, Y, Z again. That's right. But that's what people do. I think in relationships, they think, oh, I know you. I know how you're going to react. I know what you like instead of like maybe reading them in the moment. So they're, they're going off of history, which isn't always bad, but also like you said, shifts around. So 
It's it's fluid. Right. And we want to use our past experiences as a piece of information to kind mm-hmm. of have a sense of either possible or not possible. Sometimes we have boundaries that are pretty enduring and lasting, but it's also helpful to check in verbally, to attune to nonverbal body language, and to never assume that past yeses or consent past experiences automatically apply to future encounters. Right. And especially with sex, because that's where we're most vulnerable. I mean, you know, I don't know. I feel like that's one of the areas we're most vulnerable. You can't assume if you make assumptions, you often can end up in trouble. That's right. And I think the reality is that some people really want to have their way. They want to Mm. get the yes and they want to, um, they're really attached to an outcome. And so mm-hmm. they're not pausing, they're not checking in, they're not making space for no's verbally and non-verbally because they're moving towards their desire in a way and pace that doesn't really make space for attunement. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we need to look at it more, I mean, just to get back to being embodied, more of a dance, more of a in the moment instead of, okay, this is my list of things that used, that worked before, I'm just going to run through these again, rather than being in the moment and reading your partner. Yes. And, you know, when it comes to intimacy, to sexual intimacy, you know, we can communicate before, during, after, we can communicate verbally and non-verbally, but that communication has to happen because we're not mind readers. And because as you were saying, it's a moving target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that whole mind reading thing is really huge. I mean, even if you've been with somebody for a long time, you still can't read their mind. You can't read anyone's mind. You're still elucidating or that's not the right word uh, you're deciphering what you think they're feeling but you don't literally know that's right you know some of us can be very attuned and especially if we're in an emotionally secure attachment bond we mm-hmm. might have a, a really good intuition about somebody else's experience but it does put you in dangerous territory when you assume that your intuition is right and you don't check in right or you get, or you get pissed at your partner because they didn't do what you wanted because they were supposed to read your mind. Oh yeah. I think the way that we can relate to needs can be very complicated and I think there's a lot of folks out there that feel like if you really love me you would just know what I needed. Right. Um, and we want to help people be good lovers and partners by helping them understand what we need. So in doing some of your classes, I know you address some of this stuff. So what is something that you think is like super important that people need to do, know that you're working on right now? Well, in January, I'm offering my sexual and emotional intimacy skills master course, which is an eight week course. And I have it available oftentimes on demand at other points in the year. So if you're watching that, listening to this podcast and it's a different time of the year. So reach out to me through Turn On Love. I'd be happy to share it with you. But in January through March, I teach the live version of this course. So it's online with live instruction. And I go through so many topics, absolutely vital to having healthy emotional and sexual intimacy. So boundaries, more about body and nervous system care, skills for deep emotional depth and secure relationships, like how to have empathy and how to talk about our needs and I talk a lot about flirting and seduction and expressing desire and so many skills for maximizing pleasure, how you get out of your head and be in your body. How do you reveal enjoyment instead of performing? And how do you stop enduring something that's not feeling great and actually be able to co-create your sexual encounters? We talk a lot about erotica and fantasies and how to unpack shame 
And of nice. course, we talk about conflict and repairing ruptures because the reality is, is that if you're opening yourself up to intimacy, you're opening yourself up to hurt. It's important mm-hmm. to expect and anticipate that these conflict conflicts and ruptures are going to happen. So rather than doing all of the mental and emotional gymnastics to try to avoid them, how do you know and feel confident that you can navigate it well when it does happen? And then, of course, I talk about how to pick partners and how to end relationships. And even if you are in a monogamous forever relationship, we are picking people to interact with, colleagues, friends, and we are ending relationships of all kinds throughout our lifetime. It's not just romantic relationships that we need this intimacy and these skills for. It's for all sorts of relationships. And we don't really know how to end relationships well and how to be with the grief that may arise. And I think it's a very important skill to know how to be with the life cycle of relationships that many relationships have this kind of beginning, middle and end. And how do we end relationships well? Right. And then not have bad feelings that are just lingering all around. You know, it's it's a bad, I think most of us think of ending a relationship as a bad feeling. Right. It can feel hard when people grow in different ways or they realize that they're not compatible in certain ways that are mm-hmm. fundamental to the relationship or they just drift apart. That can feel really hard. But there can be an honoring of what that relationship was and how it served both of you and a way of really being able to reflect and learn and grow. And ideally, all of our relationships prepare us to have continued and sometimes even better, more nourishing relationships as we move forward, because we learn more about what we Mm. can't do without and also what we need that's different. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, as time goes on, we just learn, yeah, we learn more about ourselves and what we need and want and don't want in our relationships. That's Mm -hmm. right. And so I would love for folks to reach out to me if they're interested in my courses. I also have almost 20 different on-demand workshops that are available for folks, including ones on navigating conflict and a wide range of other topics. And then I also work with folks, individuals and couples, helping them learn the skills for maintaining healthy emotional, physical, sexual intimacy. I often say that Having healthy intimacy requires experiential skill building, as well as deeper emotional processing so that we can look at all of the core material that can show up that can make it hard to actually implement and integrate these intimacy skills. So things like our attachment styles, our family dynamics, our trauma history, the way that shame and insecurity shows up, all of this material can really make create blocks and obstacles to being able to have the kind of intimacy that we're desiring. I think some of this comes from how inadequate our sex ed is. So it's like things like this that you can do as an adult can help you get places that all of those areas totally fell short on. I mean, sex education in this country is a joke. And I'm not even just talking about sex education. I'm talking about intimacy education, which is a whole nother level of preparing people to have fulfilling relationships. Mm -hmm. And we are not 
taught intimacy skills. It is not well modeled or templated for us in our family dynamics, in our school systems, in our peer relationships, society at large. If we think about media and rom-coms and just so much of we're exposed to is not actually modeling how to have healthy intimacy. And intimacy is a skill, like any skill Mm -hmm. we can get better at it with proper instruction and practice. But unfortunately, unlike most skills, it's very hard to find access to that. It is. And and I just feel like it just, it does more, almost does more harm than good. The way the sex ed is, is set up currently now, it almost does more harm than good because they just leave so much out and they just focus on certain areas. So it just leaves us all lacking. Yeah. I think a lot of it is fear-based or shame-based or yeah. mm-hmm. just yep. looking at what's going to keep somebody physically healthy rather than also looking at what's going to keep them emotionally healthy and keep and, them from getting pregnant. I mean, that's what they focus on, you know, like right. or an STI. And yeah. they don't even talk about what happens if you have an STI. How do you navigate that in a way where you're not feeling ashamed and you still right. have healthy access to relationships and that this is something, you know, it's just so stigmatized in part mm-hmm. because of the way that sex education relates to it. Oh, for sure. And then they don't touch on pleasure at all, which is getting back to the embodiment. You know, like they don't even talk about pleasure at all. Like of course. <laughs> I don't remember them ever saying sex is pleasurable. They wouldn't they wouldn't even say it. Oh, and in anatomy, it's not like they talk about the clitoris. Of course not. You know, we right. we put a man <laughs> on the moon and invented the internet before we understood the full anatomy of the clitoris. It's really yes. wild, you know, how oh, yeah. how much this stuff isn't valued and talked about and normalized. Well, what I think is crazy is how many how many people really don't even know what a clitoris looks like. Of course, everybody knows what a penis looks like because that's like everywhere. But people literally don't know what it looks like. And some people don't realize it extends inside the woman's body. They think it's just this little button on the outside and that's it. That's right. The average clitoris <laughs> is about six inches long. Most of it does extend inside the body. It wraps around the vaginal canal. I teach a workshop called How to Eat Pussy Like a Champ, which is wonderful. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, for both givers and receivers alike, because oftentimes receivers don't actually know a lot about their body or what would feel good or what the options are and how I think it's really important for both givers and receivers to know how do we stimulate the internal clitoris? How do we create that kind of aching, throbbing turn on that makes Mm -hmm. sex so much more pleasurable? I mean, yeah, that's that's amazing that you teach that. I think that's just fantastic. But it's true because... So many people don't know. Like I try to like talk about it a lot on like social media and stuff too, because and I'll ask the question sometimes I do polls like, do, do you know what it really looks like and how big it really is? And most people they don't know. And the crazy thing is most people that follow me are okay with sexuality topics. So those are people who are okay with sexuality topics. That doesn't even touch the rest of the world that is not okay with seeing that on their social media. So there are massive amounts of people who do not know what it looks like. <laughs> which is crazy. But they also didn't talk about it. I mean, you know, the weird thing is like, I knew what a dick looked like when I was in sex ed. But did I find out what a clit looked like? No, I did not find out what a clit looked like until a few years ago, be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not alone in that. I know. Isn't it crazy? What's wrong with our world? (laughs) Our country, I guess our culture, not necessarily the entire world, but our culture, it's just, it's mind blowing how it's so blocked. Yeah. Yeah. 
am seeing ripples of change and access to more sex positive education and comprehensive intimacy education. And it's really wonderful to be seeing the resources that are available to folks that were non-existent when I was a teenager and um, available to teenagers and adults alike. And I just really want to encourage people to take workshops, to take courses, to work with an intimacy coach, because these are things that we can learn at any stage in life. And it's never too late to start to learn how to have a better relationship with yourself and with other people. It's really what makes life so fundamentally nourishing and enjoyable and meaningful. Yeah. And I just love that you create all those those courses because, yeah, these are things that people aren't taught. So, you know, they, if they want to know. And what I love too is that it's never too late. I mean, even someone who's their 60s and 70s and 80s, they could still do this stuff as your body is still your body and it still feels. So there's no, there's no end date for this stuff. That's right. We all need to enjoy it. Like you said. <laughs> yeah. And we all deserve to, we all really deserve to have this kind of nourishing intimacy. Oh, we totally do. And I think like that you talked about how, you know, people are, when they start to have stronger emotions, they're just kind of outside of their window because it makes you feel like you're still you. It's just you're kind of shifted. That doesn't mean you can't shift back. It gives it more of a viewpoint of that. Oh, this this can change. I'm not stuck here. I'm not always an irritable person. I'm not always angry. You know, like I can I can I can deal with this and I can shift it for myself. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's so amazing. <laughs> Is there anything else we have not touched on that you wanted to mention or talk about or highlight for people? Just that I really enjoy working with folks. So please feel free to reach out. You can always contact me at www.turnon.love. And I really enjoy talking with you on this show. You run such an awesome podcast. You're wonderful, amazing, inviting host. I enjoy our conversation so much and I'd love to be back again to connect with your awesome audience. Well, I love that you feel that way. I'm smiling huge right now because I <laughs> enjoy talking with you too. It's so much fun. And what I love talking about, you know, you have all this education and it's like, gives me different perspectives too, to think about how, like I just said, people don't have to feel trapped by being triggered. You know, you don't have to think of yourself that way. If you can, I think that's important for people to know that they don't have to be trapped by that. And they don't have to be like, oh, I'm always crabby. I'm always irritable. They can do things, like you said, self-soothing and co-regulation, they can work on these things and they can bring themselves out of that space. And I think that's important for people to know. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And on the converse, you know, we can always be happy, but you can't, you still have to pay attention to your boundaries because if you don't, if you're someone who's always positive and you're ignoring your boundaries, eventually you're going to fall into that other side and you're going to get resentful or angry or irritable. So I think it's, yeah, it's important to pay attention to positive and negative. That's right. That's very right. Yeah. So people can find you at Turn On Love, Turn On Dot Love, right? Is that your website? Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Will you mention real quick too? So I remember last time, wasn't it you? I was talking to when we were talking about how there's actually more courses at college universities that are starting to include more sexuality in their their curriculum. That's right. In fact, I teach at Stanford University this course, Sexual and Emotional Intimacy Skills, and it's so wonderful getting to offer it in that kind of an academic setting. I'm really impressed with their wellness education program and the wide variety of life skills that they teach and offer. And it's also really wonderful for me to get to teach outside of academia like I'm doing in January. Absolutely. Oh, it's so cool. I love to hear that stuff because maybe, like you said, it means things aren't getting more 
better, more open, more paying attention to this kind of stuff that really matters. So thank you so much. This was awesome. And uh, yeah, I definitely would love to have you back again sometime. That would be great. Thanks so much. I appreciate what you're doing here and the ways that you're really offering this accessible education to to the masses. It's so important to have these forums and I I see and honor the work that you're doing. Oh, and I want to say too, it's like really people around the world can access this, right? I mean, as long as I understand English, they can access your courses, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I have people around all around the world really that listen. So, you know, this is not, don't think of this as just restricted to people in America. I mean, this is anybody who knows English, right? I mean, they can listen and understand. They, They can participate. That's right. I have clients across the globe as well. And it's really wonderful to have such far-reaching access to to folks who who are valuing this kind of work. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, you have an amazing day. You too. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to that. What a wonderful conversation we had. So much good stuff in there. Dr. Allie is just amazing. So don't forget to check out her turnon.love in all of our courses. I mean, seriously, we, we, we weren't given good sex ed as kids, right? At least in America. I'm sure other countries are similar, except for you guys over in Europe. You guys seem to get it a little bit better than we do. But does it mean you can't learn now? And she has amazing tools for you to do that and just improve your intimacy. There's always room to improve our relationships, our intimacy, and our sexual relations. Totally. So check down in the podcast show notes for the links to that and her courses and her new course that's coming out and my books. I would love it if you checked out my books and purchased my books that I have for sale because so much fun to write. And it's a great way to exercise your sexuality on a daily basis, reading erotica and listening to it. Okay, stay tuned for Tuesday when I come at you with another erotica fiction episode. And don't forget, I'm also on... Pod Nation TV on Roku TV, Fire TV devices. Pod Nation TV is the channel that I am on, and you can listen to my episodes, watch them because some of them are video in the app anytime, view on demand. And then also you can listen to it and watch it nightly on the streaming website, which I'll put the link to that down in the podcast show notes. The timing does float around a little bit depending on how how long the shows are before it, but it's generally around 11 or 12 Eastern PM. So I'm in the dark hours, baby. (laughs) Of course, I talk about sex. That's going to be put in the the, the dark hours, the nighttime. (laughs) Okay, but don't forget to enjoy your bodies. Don't forget to come today. We were given these organs for a reason to enjoy our bodies and get pleasure and hormone release so that we can have stress relief and feel amazing and healthy. Sexual health is mental health. That's another key phrase I like to say lately because it's true. And don't forget to come today, whether you do it with yourself or with a partner, we were given these organs to enjoy our bodies. No different than we're given taste buds to enjoy food. We wouldn't be given these organs with all these amazing sensations if we weren't supposed to feel them, right? So so we got to shed that shame and guilt and go all in, baby. Enjoy your body. Enjoy your sexuality. Marinate it, baby. And use Dr. Allie's courses to help you if you feel like you can't do that freely or easily or if you just want to learn something new. Okay, you have an amazing fucking day. Love ya. Bye-bye now. 
Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.